All right, we have a great episode of Side Retired, the LV podcast coming at you guys today. Jay Kalish, who is a member of the 2017 Team Israel of the World Baseball Classic, is joining us today to get you excited for this year's tournament. So Matt, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan Campione joined alongside Matt Potter. And today, as we just teased, it is the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Former Team Israel player Jake Kalish is joining us today. So David Halpert, who's usually behind the scenes for us, was a huge fan of the Team Israel team from 2017, is also joining us for this episode. So before we introduce our guest, Matt, David, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. Awesome. Matt, I know we are back in college, first week back, second semester for you, fourth semester yeah. technically for me. How you doing? Good. Second day classes today. Still no sign of the sun in Indiana, but hopefully uh, hopefully some sunny days to come. We'll see. Maybe in the next few weeks I'll get a little, some summer rays, but excited for, uh, excited for the interview. I don't know. Excited that here in Georgetown and technically close to Mr. Kalish's alma mater, George Mason as well. It's a nice 65 degree and sunny day. So Definitely the opposite of Indiana, but of course, we are extremely excited to welcome Jake Kalish onto the show today to talk about his career, Team Israel. He is also a member of the Angels organization. So, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. All good. So, David, I know you are the huge World Baseball Classic fan. So, if you want to get us kickstarted with your first question of the whole tournament back in 2017. Yeah. So, my first question to you is. What was it like being a part of that team six years ago? You know, at first, uh, just to be invited to the team, uh, I was really, you know, honored and excited for the opportunity. Um, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. But once I got to, like, our, our training camp, um, I kind of started looking around at the guys that we had and I'm thinking to myself, we, we got a pretty good team. And, and uh, sure enough, you know, we had a nice run and, Got to see a couple of cool places in Korea and in Japan. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see what the team can do coming up this year. Absolutely. So sort of seeing this process from afar, we're seeing that this year they're releasing these like 50 player preliminary rosters. I think Dominican Republic announced theirs earlier today, the U.S. a couple of weeks ago. Sort of how does that whole process work? I know it might be different this year versus when you did in 2017. But what is that like? Is there like the manager of the team calls you and says, I want you on the team or sort of? What's that whole process like? So, yeah, there's a, like a general manager head of uh, the Israeli Baseball Federation. And how it went down the first time, actually, a scout within the Royals organization who I was with at the time um, was involved in, like, the player pool for that, uh, for that team. And they kind of got in touch with me early on uh, and said I had made, the I guess, what would have been the preliminary roster at the time. And then they got back to me maybe, like, late December saying that it made the team. Um, and this year, I th I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work out for me yet. Um, I'm still waiting to kind of hear back on, on a couple of things. So uh, I'm just kind of, you know, going at it, getting ready for spring training because the dates would line up uh, anyway. But I, again, I'm not sure how how it'll go for me this year. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess kind of going through that, you're in pro ball. I'm a former pitcher, unfortunately, had to, had to hang them up when I went to college. But how does that work since you are, you know, that, you know, you work for the Angels, that's your professional organization. 
do you have to kind of coordinate with your pitching coach and say, you know, this is what I'm doing? Or do you kind of just do they does do the Angels totally turn you over to the Israeli baseball team and say, you know, do whatever they say? Uh, well, what my experience in 2017 was that, you know, once we got permission from the Royals that I could play, um, I went to, I guess, what would have been a mini camp for minor leaguers um, early, maybe a few weeks earlier than I normally would show up and kind of get started. Like, you know, typically when you show up to spring training, um, you, you throw two bullpens, two lives, and then you're ready for a game. Um, and that varies somewhat organization, organization. Um, but so what I did is usually when guys were throwing those first two bullpens, I was already on my lives. And then, you know, once I got turned over to team Israel, yeah, it was, you know, we were playing to win games. So it kind of came down to, you know, who was going to be the, the starter, you know, guys had specific roles. And at that time I was, you know, a younger guy, kind of like more of like a depth piece for that team. So I didn't get to see a ton of, uh, a ton of opportunity, you know, and not to say that, you know, I had deserved more of the guys that were pitching. Uh, those games were really, really locked in. And it was actually really fun to kind of sit back. And I learned a lot from, from guys. I got a lot of guys that were older, had some, a lot more experience, kind of like helped you prepare for, you know, what to expect. Absolutely. And then I guess there's probably a ton of learning experiences that you got from playing. I think it was overseas during the tournament. David, if you want to take it away with more details on the tournament in 2017 itself. So, yes, uh, your team pretty much shocked the world winning four of the six games. How did you feel being a member of that team that was pretty much projected to not really win that many games? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, when we all got together, you know, looking around, I thought we had a pretty, pretty good group. And then that first game, um, I want to say it was against Korea, the first game, if I'm correct. Uh, was it was either Korea or Chinese Taipei, um, but either way, it was very. I remember it being very, very tight. And then I want to say, and it was a tie game, like into the eleventh inning, and we had. I think it might have been a bunt, a bunt run, a bunt run, or something like that. Where uh, I think it was Scott Bertram maybe bunted, and we scored a run and, and ended up hanging on. And once we got that first win, it was kind of like, okay, we got something going here and started started to roll. And, you know, I don't care. I don't think it really matters what level you, you know, you, you play enough games, you've been on enough teams. When you start to feel that that mojo and that momentum, um, everybody starts to believe a little bit more. And we kind of went on to roll at least that first round. Um, and, you know, beating Cuba in the second round, first game, we really felt like we had a chance. Um, unfortunately, Japan was pretty good, and they're looking to be pretty good again. Uh, we kind of ran into a buzzsaw there, and then the Netherlands um, seemed to to step up their game compared to what it was in the first round. But altogether, it was really a fun fun experience, and uh, you know the, the the group of guys we had were awesome. I always find it fascinating, and Matt, you can probably echo the sentiment of maybe when you were pitching in high school, but guys seem to just like. You can reference a game or a moment. It just like comes back to you as you were just talking about how you remember it was the 11th inning of bunt play. It's sort of like fascinating to me that you could like reference some my, a random game and all of a sudden it just comes flowing back to you. I know one moment that probably will always be with you. And I think you've talked about it before in previous interviews when you got drafted, sort of what was that feeling like getting the call from the Kansas City Royals and finding out that you're going to pro baseball after a solid career with George Mason? You know, that whole experience up until the phone call was very, very stressful, to be honest. 
um, you know, I had put a lot of time and energy into, into wanting to play professionally and had injury in college kind of set me back. Um, and then, you know, being a fifth year senior, wasn't really sure what was in store for me next. Um, and, you know, my brother played professionally. Um, so having him as like, okay, I, I have to play at the next level, you know, kind of, kind of attitude. And I remember uh, I was at home where my parents were li- moved to North Carolina and we were playing golf and uh, it was about the 11th hole. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. I'm checking on Twitter. I think it was another 30. <laughs> and then my brother called me saying, congratulations. I'm like, what are you talking about? How are you supposed to know? I guess he was listening on the radio and had heard it um, before I saw on Twitter. And, you know, it was just such a, such a, you know, weight off my shoulders and, and just an amazing feeling knowing that I would get that opportunity to uh, continue my career. And I've been very, very grateful for the, that opportunity. So I guess speaking of like career and exposure, um, I know you played up in the Cape, um, which I guess in a lot of ways could have been a similar experience to the WBC where it's like, you know, it's not really, it's not George Mason. It's not your professional team that you're playing with for 12 months out of the year. Um, I guess, could you do a little bit of a comparison or maybe they are totally different between, you know, going to play with team Israel for six games and playing, you know, up in the Cape for however many games you played. Yeah. I would kind of compare like the Cape, the Cape league experience to um, like a minor league season where, you know, you're obviously you're going out trying to win. um, But, you know, the way that it's kind of handled is more so of an exposure type thing and a development type, you know, you're looking to show your show your talents for the scouts, um, you know, and play to the best of your ability. But um, you know, towards the end, and I played in the playoffs uh, in 2014, or maybe we were trying to make the playoffs in 2014. And you know, a lot of the guys that were really solid players had gone home um, because they had to get ready for their fall season. You know, at these big um, at these bigger schools at these big D1 programs. So it kind of felt like that. Whereas, you know, sometimes in the minor league season, you're, you know, some of the, the roster moves are, you know, may not make the most sense in terms of winning, you know, guys that are on a prospects list or um, that haven't had as many at bats or innings pitches as they should have had the prior season and, you know, may be getting more opportunity just because the organization wants to see, you know, if you can develop. Whereas, that team Israel experience, it was all about winning. You know, we, Jerry Weinstein, the manager uh, for that season, made it very clear what we were trying to do. And, um, you know, it wasn't like, okay, so-and-so is going to pitch four innings and then you're going to – no, you know, he's got the ball until he can't go anymore. You know, there was a little strategy. I guess there, I think there's like a pitch inning limit rule, I want to say, in order to pitch – come back and pitch in, in games later in, in a certain pool. But, no, it was, it was very much uh, a winning – culture for that team awesome and then i have kind of a follow-up to that about your time in the cape like you were saying there's probably some sec guys you know going back to school and whatever um we have i know we have like a big a lot of high school guys trying to get recruited who follow the pod um you know going to pitch in the my mom's a a bonaventure alum so i know the a10 pretty well oh yeah probably like a i don't want to say a lesser conference in the sec but it's just not as big of a baseball powerhouse would you say that that's an advantage? I guess if you're somebody who's trying to get drafted, if you go and dominate the A10 versus, you know, bullpen guy getting limited innings in the SEC, would you say that there's a 
an advantage to that or would you say it's kind of a wash well you know to to really speak on that subject i, I don't know if i would i would take my advice more so as a grain of salt just because the, the time that i was playing is different than it is now i think with technology being where it is track man rapsodo you know twitter um things of that nature you can if you have the stuff and you have you know that makeup i think it's a lot easier for scouts to find you now so i don't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily say that you know being that's that um that that small fish in, in a big pond is really the answer. Whereas, um, you know, if you're, if you're a big fish in a small pond, you might stick out more. So I think either way, if you have what it takes to, to get to that next level, it doesn't really matter where you're at. Um, whereas maybe in the past it did play up a little bit more. If you were, you know, a middle relief type pitcher in an SEC team, um, you might get a little more exposure. Whereas now, you know, say you have a, guy at a d2 even d3 that's you know mid-90s fastball with with a little bit of command and a, and a good breaking ball i don't think it really matters you know you see it more and more now uh guys that didn't play at those big time schools getting opportunities just because they have you know stuff and can pitch yeah it's very cool that you got the chance to play in that league what was it like playing in the stadiums at the world baseball classic yeah they um i think it was i think in korea it was the kawum if i'm saying that correctly heroes stadium uh the gochik sky dome and that was really awesome uh i think it was a newer stadium uh and you know we got to be on the home and the away side obviously the away side didn't have it at you know the same amenities as the home side had but you know uh the bullpens are actually underneath you know, downstairs. So you have to go down these, you'd have to go into the clubhouse actually down, down a flight of stairs where the weight room is on one side and the bullpen's on the other. And, you know, you have the TV on um, and, you know, you call down. And I remember, um, you know, being pretty excited for my first outing and then getting ready, you know, in the bullpen and then having to run up that flight of stairs, I was kind of winded getting out to the mound. Um, so, you know, my heart was a little bit jacked up. So it may have taken me one or two pitches to kind of get locked in. But, um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. And then in the Tokyo Dome, obviously a lot of history there. Um, it felt it it felt smaller than it really is. I think it holds like 50,000 50, people, I want to say. I, I may be wrong about that. But the way it was set up, it was kind of like um, kind of flat. How the, the seats kind of the fanned out there. Um, but it got really, really loud, especially when we played Japan. And, you know, they're all chanting in unison, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, something that I hadn't really experienced. Um, but uh, it wasn't as nice. But obviously, the, the history of the stadium, um, you know, um, was really cool. And then, as you just mentioned, that was probably an electric atmosphere, not dissing double A or single A baseball, but definitely a different experience to be pitching in front of. 30,000, 40,000 fans in a stadium like that versus a minor league ballpark or anything like that. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, I, I want, I don't want to uh, take anything away from the Dominican winter league. Cause that's a pretty cool um, environment as well. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say they're, they're, they're right around the same kind of same kind of spot. Absolutely. And then I also know that um, while that might have not have been as prevalent in 2017, you definitely are exposed to it a lot 
still with the Royals and with the Angels and that all the technology you just mentioned, there's Rapsodo, StatCast, all those sort of things. And I know one of the things that Todd and I always sort of go and battle back and forth, it's that balance between the eye test and like throwing a curveball and seeing, okay, that spun pretty well versus then also looking at the Rapsodo and saying, well, shoot, it actually did spin really well. Sort of as a professional pitcher and as a professional baseball player, Potter and I see it on the college level, but how do you see it and how do you guys utilize analytics and sort of also still the throw baseball with seams versus look at the numbers and science? Yeah, you know, for a long time, uh, I kind of I didn't want to see any 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 numbers, any analytics. Um, You know, I didn't really understand that a whole lot. Um, You know, I had grown up in in a time where it was pound the zone you know, mix your pitches up and, and kind of just get outs. Um, and, you know, it worked for me for a while. And then I kind of started hitting like a, a hiccup in 2019 and, and 2021. Um, and I just was kind of, okay, I, I really got to dive into this and see what's going on. And what I noticed was, and I was told by a couple of different guys uh, that I trust, a couple of pitching coaches that I've come to know. And, you know, what they really explained, I was like, look, you have no problem throwing strikes but you need to be able to, you know, separate your pitches and, you know, kind of looking at some numbers and seeing what my, you know, my pitches are actually doing. You know, I, I kind of told myself, okay, I could, I can figure out how to make my arsenal separate. Whereas I think my stuff kind of started blurring together. You know, for example, like the fastball and your breaking ball are too close together. You know, they're not really the, the separation on the breaks you know, isn't as, as, as good as it should be, where it makes kind of like that, that sweet spot for hitters, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to square the ball up because they're seeing it kind of in the same spot, similar movement patterns. So it wasn't necessarily for me like, okay, I want to go and chase as much break as I can get. I don't care if it's a strike or a ball. It was more so, okay, like what, how am I going to attack hitters using the numbers, that, um, um, you know, to my benefit? And then I love talking, talking, pitching, biomechanics, all that fun stuff. So sort of, since you are a pitcher, I have to ask your repertoire, how you hold pitches, stuff like that. Um, what you yeah. got? I know fastball probably for sure. And then secondary pitches, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I throw a, a sink, sinker slider uh, with a change up and a four seam fastball. And, you know, depending on which side I might, I might attack somebody a little bit differently. Um, but the sinker has been more of a new, a, a new pitch for me. I used to throw just a two seamer um, and it didn't really get as many, you know, soft contacts as I was hoping to get. And that was kind of one of the things that I learned in looking at the data and everything like that. So that kind of changed some things for me. And again, like ha- help that, that separation of my arsenal. Now I, have, I guess I have a follow-up to that. You know, you're, you're pitching in triple a ball where it's probably guys are bouncing up and down and, getting hurt so i guess creating a game plan is probably not as easy as it is in the in the big leagues or in college where you kind of know who's coming up um is is that more difficult i guess or is you know you're trusting your your coach call calling the pitches and you kind of have that relationship with him where you know that you know you'll be able to figure it out kind of in game even if you need to make adjustments if the lineup changes that day for your opponent yeah you know i think a lot of it now is kind of shifted toward the player kind of fi- making um making a game plan um, there's a lot of information and everybody interprets it differently um pitching coaches that i've come to know especially at the triple a level 
you know, they are there to help you um, with what you may need and some suggestions, you know, if they, if they see something that might not look completely right to them, but for the most part, you know, they, they want you to look at the information and kind of look at it and see how your stuff will play against each guy and kind of have that in your back pocket. So you can kind of go with a plan rather than, you know, relying on somebody else. Um, and I think a lot of it is that accountability factor that, you know, more and more, you know, you only have so, so much time and everyone's time playing is different, you know, shorter and longer. Um, so, you know, not to say that that coaches aren't there to help because they are. I've leaned on them quite a bit. However, you you are responsible for your career, and it's and you have to take that upon yourself to make sure that you know that you're doing the the right thing and, and looking at hitters and knowing how you're going to attack them. And it's that whole knowing this is my best pitch, even though it's technically it's your arm, so you know what's coming out of it. You know what that bullet's going to be and what pitch, even if it's more than if you know the hitter crushes sliders, but you know my slider is better sort of yeah. throw that slider and trust your stuff. And that's definitely really cool to hear. Yeah, exactly. I remember reading like a, a quote from Clayton Kershaw. This was years ago. And I think uh, he was, he was pitching against San Francisco at San Francisco and he got, he got hit around pretty good. Um, and then the next outing he faced them, his literally his next four, five days later, he faced them again at home and he dominated. And after where they asked and they said, you know, what was the difference? And he said, you know, the first game I was trying to look at hitters and, and try and, you know, pick and choose, you know, based on their strengths um, rather than, Hey, like if this guy hits a cutter down and in, well, like whatever, you know, I throw a, I have confidence that my cutter down and in is going to be just fine. And, you know, and there's definitely something to be said about that for sure. And then I'm also fascinated because Potter and I both grew up as Mets fans, idolizing Jacob deGrom and Matt Harvey and pitchers like that and watching them, we're obviously no longer with the Mets career highs, career lows, that fun stuff. But growing up, did you have a favorite pitcher that now you maybe not emulate after, but definitely someone that you looked up to and said, wow, it's a good pitcher. Yeah. I love watching John Lester pitch um, being left-handed. I kind of grew up on the Red Sox, you know, I'm from New Jersey, but my dad, my mom and dad are both from the Boston area. Uh, so he got me on the Red Sox early and, you know, obviously my, my brother playing for them, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, I'm like a diehard Red Sox fan, but just watching him pitch, man, like he competed so hard, you know, obviously he had great stuff, uh, great command, but just the way he attacked hitters, you know, it didn't matter if, if, I mean, at least what it looked like, it didn't matter if he had his best stuff or his worst stuff, he was going to come at you and wanted to, you know, kick your ass. And it was, it was, it was always fun to watch. And I, I try to, I try to do that as best as I can, you know, Talk about a big game, big competition type pitcher, John Lester, for sure. Yeah, really okay. that type of thing. So we do have three kind of short questions. The podcast is named Side Retired. So as most baseball fans know, three outs and the side is retired. So sort of three nice and quick and easy and fun questions for you. And then we'll be on our merry way if you're game for it. Sure, let's do it. So the first one that we had for you is who is the toughest hitter that you've faced in your career? Could be college. WBC could be triple a could be a guy on a rehab appearance anything you got that a guy was like cheap <laughs> yeah will smith with the with the dodgers has always seemed to uh get me double a triple a you know for whatever reason yeah i think will smith for whatever reason he just he could he saw me well so i would say that 
Absolutely. The second one we have is you're now a member of the Angels organization, which is known for having both Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. If you had to face them in an intra-squad or something like that, you think you're striking them out? Or conversely, could Shohei Otani strike you out if they told you go grab a bat, you have to hit against them? Oh, well, that one, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably three and out. He could probably just throw me three straight fastballs. I got no chance. It's been way too long. Not to say that, not even to say when I was hitting that I couldn't hit. That guy's unbelievable. Um, on the other question, I mean, yeah, I'm going to try. You know, I, those guys are some of the best in the game. And what better way to, to check your competition and check check how you measure up against those guys. So definitely give it, a, give it my best effort. 100%. And then the third one we had for you sort of tying a bow on this whole thing. If you want to say your favorite moment of when you were on Team Israel, or even if it's not a favorite moment, just in general sort of, for guys who don't know much about the WBC or realize they have a really busy March, sort of a pitch to them is why they should definitely tune in, check it out. Even if you're on the team, not on the team, sort of what is why watch the WBC and what's so electric and special about it. Yeah. I think why to watch the WBC is you're getting playoff baseball in March. You know, I think, um, I think playoff baseball is some of the better, some of the better playoffs out there. Um, you know, there's just so much, on the line and you can feel it in every pitch. Um, so if you like playoff baseball in October, then, you know, tune into March cause you'll get, you'll get two, two rounds of it. That's that, that would be my, my opinion. Absolutely. I love it, Potter. I know we definitely love having everything like that and watching playoff baseball. I know us Mets fans are hoping for more, but we are also looking forward to watching you dominate in the playoffs with the angels in 2023 fingers crossed big playoff games with the fireworks going off in LA potentially this March as well. If you're playing for team Israel again, we'll definitely be on the lookout for that, but Matt and Dovin, unless there's anything else you guys want to throw in, definitely appreciate all the time and insight and laughs that you gave us today. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. That was fun. Thanks so yeah, much. Indeed. Great news. Side retired is now partnered with seat geek for all ticketing needs. Go to seatgeek.com and use promo code side retired pod in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes. This means we're officially taking you out to the ball game. And now for the rest of today's edition of side retired podcast. Well, Matt, that was a great episode just now talking about Jake Kalish and his experiences in the WBC, as well as with the Angels organization. Your thoughts on the episode? It was a lot of fun hearing about the World Baseball Classic. You know, we don't really get to get a lot of guys who have been a part of that, hearing about the Cape League, college ball, analytics, kind of everything in between. Um, it was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, great interview. Absolutely. And we'll be back later this week. We're going to be interviewing the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. So definitely make sure to check that out. That is our capstone for our Hall of Fame episodes. If you haven't checked those out, make sure to do so. So we'll be back later this week. So for Dylan, James, Jack and Matt, until the next time, the side is retired. Retired.